Hello and welcome to the Super Bowl of Showdown Slates. This is the crowning achievement in Cody Main's pathetic life, which he dedicated to Showdown. This is the Hall of Fame. This is the Super Bowl. This is everything turned into one $6 million prize pool in the flagship lotto on DraftKings for Showdown in Sunday Super Bowl, of course, between the Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. Cody, I assume you've been at full 3.9 all week. How's it going? I know this is the game that that everyone's excited for, but I've been at a full 3.9 since the Pro Bowl <laughs> last week. So uh, there's no coming down from that, and I don't think there's there's any way to exceed what we saw last week in the Pro Bowl. Correct. If your erection lasts more than four hours during Pro Bowl, <laughs> Super Bowl season, that's do not consult a doctor. That's actually okay and expected. Leone, what jersey do you have on today? Good evening. Uh, Isaac Bruce. Throwback oh, jersey. No, it was my only... <laughs> Rams or Bengals jersey. So I actually bet the Bengals, but we're rocking Isaac Bruce because we had to be on, on point with the wardrobe. Yeah, exactly. All right. On today's show, we're not going to waste too much time here. This is a very, very, very important showdown slate. You know, showdown's gotten incredibly popular um, in the regular season. I still think a large portion of the field, though, that's playing for the Super Bowl has never played showdown before. So I think you get this combination of for the Super Bowl where showdown is both the highest stakes and the softest, if you guys know what I mean, because there's a lot, a lot of people that just don't know what they're doing in showdown. They're going to be blasting off. We, of course, have been doing this show every week. Cody's been writing the breakdowns two to three times a week, and so we are ready to rock here. Leone, do you have anything for people who are maybe playing showdown for the first time? I know that's kind of a loaded question, but if you were only had played classic or main slates before, where do you come down on telling people maybe two things they need to know for showdown? Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming you're talking from a tournament perspective. Yep. Yeah. I think, I think just like a main slate in, you, you can transfer some of the same things you would do on a main slate. If you're playing like the small field stuff that I talked about on established a million, there's going to be spots that we talk about through this show where you can see where ownership is going to condense and you can make a, a big pivot. And you can find some low and high upside guys, particularly at the captain spot. And we'll go over that, especially with Cooper Cup underpriced. Um, you're going to see a lot of roster construction funnel. One thing that is different, though, to keep in mind, and Cody does a great job talking about this in his article, is the overall roster construction of your team. You have to think through a little bit more. You know, not everyone's going to hit their ceiling. Like a main site, you're trying to win a GPP, you need a bunch of guys to hit their ceiling you're not going to have six guys all hit their ceiling in a showdown slate, but you do want to play the game going a certain script and make sure your lineup kind of makes sense. Instead of just like jamming, you know, the best players, you want to tell yourself a story kind of with your lineup. Sure. And a lot of stuff you'll hear us talk about is being unique in showdown. Obviously anytime you're duped and I believe Cody has his don't dupe me, bro uh, sweatshirt on anytime you're duped, obviously like it'd be great to chop a million two ways but every time that you're duped you, your ev on the lineup just goes down and down and down and down and so your uh, goal here is to make good lineups without being duped in showdown and again thinking about your story as leone said in terms of this game cody Bengals, rams you know we see these games with totals of 48 and a half you know reasonably big total you think there's a lot of different ways to go these two teams play it pretty tight though and that's what i think makes this a difficult slate is they play it tight in terms of personnel Sean McVay and the Rams run almost exclusive 11 personnel, three wide receiver, one tight end, one running back. So do the Bengals, and they don't rotate their wide receivers a lot. Neither team does. We'll get to Skowernick in a minute here, but they really don't rotate much either. They don't rotate a tight end. And I mean, you know, uh, 
the most muddled situation is really Rams backfield, which we'll have to get to. But these slates are weird, Cody, where there's not a lot of guys who like can mix in. How do you view this slate as a whole? Yeah, you see the you see the DraftKings point distribution charts in front of you on the screen there, and there's eight names for the Bengals and pretty similar for the Rams. I think we probably have 20 total, total playable players on this slate. So I was doing backflips today when we got the Daryl Henderson news and, and gave him a projection. It doesn't seem like much, but it does make the slate just a little bit more compelling. It gives us another option, and it might make the field uh, a little bit less excited to play some of the other guys that we were interested in. I think what it does is it, Generally, when we talk about these slates, there are some of these players that are sub 2K um, that are in the, the hundreds of dollars range that are really cheap, don't project for much ownership. And it's one way for us to, to very clearly get unique from the very beginning. There aren't very many of those players, if any at all. Even the guy that you mentioned, Scourneck, is going to catch plenty of ownership just so people can jam these highly projected lineups in uh, and, and make it all work. So I think it, it really sets up a slate for people that have been paying attention all season long and know kind of the other levers to pull. Uh, in terms of getting unique. And, and a lot of those things will be roster construction, we'll be manipulating salary used, we'll be manipulating uh, product ownership, total ownership, doing some decorrelated things within your lineup, like uh, things that you wouldn't necessarily do on a main slate, but make a lot more sense when you account for the chaos of just a single game. Um, so again, a lot of people that have been here, a lot of people that have been reading through the showdown breakdown have been playing showdown all year. I think you'll be at a big advantage uh, on a slate that just doesn't have a lot of these low projected ownership plays for us to jam in to get unique. You're going to have to uh, really think about think through this in, in, a, in a smart way. We'll go position by position here in a minute. The last macro thing that I want to talk about before we get into position by position is my favorite table that Cody added to the article this year. I mean, this is like what I use exclusively when I play showdown. I'll just like jam in 20 lineups with a roster construction that I like. In other words, max two Rams, min four uh, Bengals, for instance, is something that I've been doing all year. Two, four underdog is what we would say in showdown virgin terms. Cody, where do you see the edge in roster construction, if any, on the Super Bowl slate? I love the way that it broke down this week. Uh, you see the one five, which again, like Adam mentioned, is it would be one Ram, five Bengals, going to be 1% owned. Um, and I don't get too caught up in like how historically these types of roster constructions have fared. And I don't think that's too predictive, but just knowing that if we simply start that way with five Bengals and one Ram that we're, we're immediately chopping off 98, 99% of the field is amazing. That roster construction in similar style games where we've got like a three and a half to a five and a half point spread has one at a 7% clip. So massive, massive leverage right there from the beginning. And then our favorite, the two fours. So in this game, we're talking two Rams, four Bengals. Uh, we see about 16%, 17% projected ownership or utilization. And that has wanted a 28% clip. So again, massive, massive leverage there. Uh, I think the one thing that stands out from the very beginning, and this kind of goes along with, with how the game is projected from Vegas too. We've got a four and a half point spread. I think people feel really good about the Rams. Um, you know, you know, maybe maybe Rams money line. I don't know. We, we've got a lot of guys on on Bengals plus four and a half, but you're going to see that 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 is how the field is going to build their lineups, projecting the Rams to win or this game to be, be played pretty close. Yeah. Uh, we've got a 42 percent projected three three lineups, which just means three Rams, three Bengals, and then still a big projection on four Rams, two Bengals. So I think if you if, you know if you're building one lineup, if you're building a handful of lineups, just immediately lopping off that three three four two range that's going to account for you know 73 75 percent of the field's lineups is a really really good way from the very beginning just to start creating yeah. more unique yeah. rosters. In that two four two, Cody, I feel like. A large chunk of those are going to be cut 
and acres yeah you know on the two sides so even if you just did one of those guys with a different ram you could get you know even you could probably like chop that utilization in half exactly yeah there's so many micro ways within these like leone said a, a, a cup and stafford is going to be another popular one you know cup in in the rams dst as we'll get into has has a, a nice projection for their price tag so just kind of thinking through these things as you're as you're building out the more macro and then going another step beyond that to get more unique within those roster constructions all right let's get to the positions here we're gonna start the quarterback position you know normally when you have pocket passers i.e quarterbacks who can't rush for a touchdown or unlikely to rush for a touchdown i typically don't like to use them at captain and i think you know, I, I don't like using quarterback and captain anyways here. Leone, what do you think about Stafford and Burrow in this spot, specifically in captain? And then any other thoughts on them in this spot? Yeah, I don't like him too much in captain. I just think it's a situation where you're highly likely to have one of them be outscored by a wide receiver on their team. In base projection, the quarterback's always going to project better because we don't know which wide receiver it's going to be. But you know, it's obviously not going to be uniformly distributed in a game. I, I don't even know. There haven't been very many games where Stafford has even outscored Cup. Yeah. And if he has, it's been by very little. Obviously, if you're in the, the pure lotto, you need to hit the nut. So if Stafford outscores Cup by like one, that would be good. But if you're playing even in smaller field stuff, like you're not getting much of an edge there. And then with Burrow, you know, we've seen in cycle through different guys have alpha games, whether it's Chase or Higgins. So um, I know the captain ownership at QB isn't as high as it once was, but with both of these guys hovering around 10%, you know, I'm, I'm probably not utilizing them in captain. Okay, Cody, it's really hard to fit both quarterbacks and cup. And we've talked a lot about how yeah. having at least one quarterback on your team is typically a must to win one of these things. There are options you could do on this slate with no quarterbacks because of what Leone's saying. Cup outscores Stafford so often. If Chase goes off, he's going to outscore Burrow. If T goes off, he's going to outscore Burrow, so you can make a case for it. I just don't feel comfortable with no quarterback lineups. And honestly, I was trying to make some lineups out of both quarterbacks. It's not easy to fit both quarterbacks in at all. So what do you think about handling just quarterbacks in general here? Yeah, I know there's some sickos out there playing cash. So we should mention from from kind of the jump, like you you need to have a quarterback in your cash game lineup and you should try and fit both. Uh, I know our cash optimal or, or just our straight optimal does not have that both quarterbacks in it. Um, it, it will be tough to fit just with the way that, that everything's priced out and you're going to need to have cup in that lineup too. Um, but from a tournament perspective, we just see it so, so often, you, the, even in the game scripts where there isn't a lot of scoring, the quarterbacks are just with it being a positionless format, even if the, the game projects or ends up being a low scoring game, they're going to do enough to generally crack the top six scores. If they don't, it's a very, very strange game environment. And I know uh, Brian Jester won. Uh, Super Bowl without a quarterback a couple of years ago uh, solo. So it can happen. It, it can definitely happen. But I would imagine that if you're building out even a, a 20 max or a couple of hand-built lineups, and certainly in an MME portfolio, you want to have exposure to at least one. Uh, I do agree with Leone that I would much prefer the wide receivers at captain over these guys. But we've kind of seen an aversion from the field of late they've gotten a little bit smarter in that sense with what leone's talking about that if the quarterback has a good game most likely one of their wide receivers is going to outscore them then we've started to see much lower captain ownership from these pocket passing quarterbacks so i'm not totally ruling it out there won't be any sort of uh, exclusion in, in in my mme set but i will say that if you are playing stafford or burrow at captain you almost should exclusively pair them with two or more pass catchers from their same team like what going based off that same thing that we just talked about if if you've got 
Matt Stafford at captain with just Cooper Cup, it's so much more likely that in the optimal lineup that that would be flipped. If you just have him paired with one, that Cup would be the optimal captain and Stafford would be in the flex. So just keep that in mind when you're when you're building through those lineups. Yeah, I guess I would say that the way that Stafford or Burrow would be the optimal captain would be either they rush for a touchdown, which isn't crazy. I mean, they've both been running more in the playoffs. They could both get a sneak off, mm-hmm. rush for a touchdown, or throw four touchdowns to four different pass catchers, right? Then they could also be the optimal captain in that scenario. But yeah, I think if I was making you know 10 or 20 lineups, I don't think I'd have quarterback in my captain spot. I do think if I'm making just 20 lineups, I am entertaining a couple no quarterback lineups. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that's a little bit off the wall, but as Cody said, the pricing really is pretty tight up top. If you want to play cup at captain and then you want to play Jamar chase, all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of squeezed right away. Um, and it's pretty possible to build a lineup without quarterback. I think that's the type of game where you want to play where it's not, it's not too high scoring. You're not getting a ton of passing touchdowns, but guys are racking up catches and that sort of thing. So I think, I think it's priced in a manner that it's it's more likely to be optimal than on the usual slate. All right, let's go to running back. Um, this is really interesting, man. I think this is like the most interesting spot of the slate. Let me give you guys my latest Rams running back take. I, I think Cam Akers is going to start the game. I think Sony will be in there for pass downs. I think Daryl Henderson will be a breather back, you know, play sparingly on early downs. There's problem with Cam Akers is I think our base projection on him is fine. The downside path for Cam Akers is like, I mean, they're coming out from every angle, shoulder injury, fumble issues, inefficiency, really bad inefficiency over the last two games, uh, if not more going back. And, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he could get benched. He could get hurt again. He could just get outplayed by Sony. He could get outplayed by D Hendo. Maybe I'm underestimating how much D Hendo is going to play. There's a lot of paths to downside on Cam Akers. So the MME bros, if you're building through an opto, everybody's going to get Cam Akers. Like Cam Akers coming through like every optimizer. So my take is to be way underweight in hand builds on Cam Akers. Now I know Leone has a more bullish case on Cam Akers outlook here. I guess my take is that like his ceiling is like 20 and you have a lot of games where he gets like three, four, five. And maybe, maybe that's underestimating his ceiling a little bit here. I don't know, but Leone, why don't you talk about your feelings for cam Akers here yeah i mean my overall outlook on the running back situation is not that different from yours where like i'm expecting michelle to work in a little bit i really i know they said they would use all three backs but i'd just be surprised if henderson played much like we, we already saw him behind and if this behind those two guys he already like had fallen behind michelle before acres came back and then acres leapfrogged michelle so it just seems kind of crazy to me that the guy that was third in line would return from injury and then play and and he's barely played since week 12 i mean he's been out a long time yeah and he's just all of a sudden going to come and play in the super bowl big role i don't know and it seemed like like i know last game for acres didn't go well between the shoulder injury michelle working in at the end and the game script didn't go that well for him either but like we can't completely write off that he out carried michelle 24 to 1 in, in the game against tampa bay and then comes out I think he out carried Michelle 11 to five in the first half, even with missing a series with the shoulder injury had come back and like reading the tea leaves to me, it kind of feels like he probably, you know, got shot up, went back in the game and then halftime, then having to leave for halftime probably didn't do him any favors, but I'm just surprised at the ownership projection we have on him right now, at least in the lotto at 41%. 
Like I, I thought that would be like 60%. I mean, th- if there's two people, in my opinion, that are most underpriced on this slate, it's Cooper Cup and Cam Akers. So I agree there's a lot of paths to downside, but he doesn't have to hit a huge ceiling to be in the optimal lineup at 6,400. I mean, he's 3,200 cheaper than Mixon. I think he's going to get the touches. If the game script goes as projected, it looks pretty good. And I'm someone in general, and, and this might be me overlooking something, but in general, I tend to not worry as much about the efficiency stuff. So I'm I'm like kind of just expecting that to be like normal-ish for four and a half yeah. yards per carry type thing. The, the Rams have been inefficient no matter who's been their running back for a lot of this year. I mean, they have not had huge fantasy games. They haven't ripped off, you know, 200 yard rushing games. Uh, almost at all. Uh, we need to start moving quicker here, but Cody, do you have it? I think it's such an important spot. Anything on Michelle or DeHendo for you? I agree with Leone that like, I'd be shocked if DeHendo got more than like two touches in this game, but I think it's in the range of outcomes for him to get more. It's just really low percentage, but anything more for you on Rams running back? It just sets up really interesting because of all the price tags on all of these guys. And like Leone mentioned that, you know, he thought he might be closer to 60%. If there is an area where we're light, it is probably acres. I know he popped up in our optimal lineup and he's going to pop up in a lot of optimal lineups across the industry as well. Uh, I think it's really interesting that we get DeHendo back, uh, supposedly back for someone like Sony who did see, I think, 11 attempts last week. Uh, And if the Bengals go into this, not to get super football bro here, but if the Bengals go into this drop eight coverage that was so successful last week, against Patrick Mahomes or two weeks ago against Patrick Mahomes. If they do that again against the Rams, hopefully, uh, you know, fake sharp Sean McVay, Sean McVay is a little bit more willing to run the ball a little bit. And for someone like Sony Michelle, who's going to be 11% owned, as we talked about uh, how hard it is to get unique on this slate with, with the micro, with the individual players, um, maybe just assuming that this is a little bit closer to uh, a 55, 45, or even a 60, 40, and maybe Michelle just runs hot on touchdown efficiency. Maybe he's the one that gets the goal line carry at 5k at 11% ownership. Um, you know, especially as basically playing a home game uh, at 5k, four and a half point favorites that, you know, it just, it, it kind of sets up in that sense where he just sets up as really good leverage, especially if we think we're light on acres ownership already. Totally agree. To- totally agree on Michelle Nolato for sure. I mean, that makes a ton of sense because when when the MME bros are just optoing it in, they're not going to get a lot of Michelle because he projects so much worse than Acres for only fourteen hundred less. The other side, Leone is much more clear cut. Joe Mixon on early down, Samaj Piran on clear pass downs. They're certainly not giving away Samaj Piran. I think a lot of people are going to say, "Oh man, I saw Samaj Piran get that forty-one yard touchdown on the screen. They're going to throw that play again in the Super Bowl." I agree, they're going to throw that play again. The expectation. On that play, though, is obviously not a 41-yard touchdown. It's like a five-yard catch. So I'm interested in a Samaj Piran fade. We have him for 13% here, which obviously isn't a ton. But on a slate where people are so starved to find something cheap, Piran, I think, is going to stick out to a lot of people. What do you think about Mixon at this price and then Piran? Yeah, uh, first of all, I'm annoyed Piran scored that touchdown because I really like him structurally in the 2-4 underdog builds where you're playing basically the inefficient lot of passing attempts for Cincinnati on the four side like throwing in P Ryan and that type of build like totally fits that game script and it gives you the necessary cap relief. But as you said, he's kind of overowned solely based off one play where he ran, you know, super efficient on a slate where running back sucked. And I think that's in people's minds. As far as Mixon, he's one of two players um, in this range that I think could get squeezed, especially if you're playing like the smaller field stuff. I'm going to try and play a couple small field tournaments, not just the lotto. It just, it's tough to fit in. And I think like him and chase are sort of the odd men out when you're looking at both quarterbacks and Cooper cup up there. 
And even between those two, Chase at least fits like the passing game. There's some more correlation. Mixon's the anti-correlation guy. He doesn't play well with Burrow, but he also doesn't play well as an underdog if people are overthinking game script. So I am somewhat tempted to use him in my primary lineup just because I can see the ownership really cratering as people, you know, in the contest where people are hand building a bit more. My take, we have them both for 39% now total ownership. Maybe that's true in the lotto between Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon. I agree with Leone that like, I mean, nobody's clicking. Nobody, people who are thoughtful might do it, but I don't think many people in small field are going to click Mixon over Jamar Chase. Like that would surprise me. Um, so I agree there. Let's go to wide receivers. Like I said, it's really clear cut. You know, the Bengals, barring injury, I don't think the Bengals are going to play more than three wide receivers, period. Like, I don't think Trent Taylor and Mike Thomas, they might not even get into the game and run a route. Like, they might literally only play three wide receivers in this entire game. Now, there could be an injury that allows Trent Taylor and Mike Thomas. We did see them run the two-point conversion for Trent Taylor last week. Let's start with the Bengals side. Cody, what do you think is going to happen there? Yeah, this is where we get to the point with kind of a more casual field meeting uh, a few more 150 maxers probably coming out of the woodworks with this being the only show in town. I am curious in in the lottos where we will have a good mix of hand builders uh, and and the 150 maxers if people will uh, get a little bit shy, scared, scared away from the Jamar Chase price tag where he's a little bit too close to Cooper Cup in my opinion. And we have T Higgins, who's nearly $3,000 cheaper and doesn't project that much worse. Um, so initially I kind of had that uh, much more in favor of Jamar Chase, just because of the name value, uh, the recognition there and just people wanting to play him. But I do think it's going to be pretty close. And then mm -hmm. even dropping down to Tyler Boyd, who I think is one of the stronger value plays in and kind of sets up well, especially in this matchup with this, the zone heavy Rams coverage, you get Jalen uh, Ramsey out there on Jamar Chase a little bit too. I think that Tyler Boyd actually sets up well from a matchup perspective. If you told me that any of these guys was the highest owned of the three wide receivers, uh, I wouldn't be shocked at all. We've got it really pretty close. And so, you know, therefore, if they're going to all be pretty, pretty similarly uh, pretty similarly projected in terms of ownership, but we're getting a big, big discount on someone like Higgins who has flashed that ceiling. I think he's my favorite of the group. I just yeah. do worry that, that, you know, maybe that ownership gets a little bit carried away if people need the $3,000 in savings. Yeah. T is going to be in a lot of optimals because I mean, as you said, he can't afford to play chase with cup and a quarterback. Like it's like almost impossible. Yeah. And so you're getting a, a lot of T Higgins, and as we talked about all year with Leonia, I mean, the, the target projection between Chase and T is not that different at all. And so to save that much money to get T, and, and Silva talked about the likeliest cornerback matchup for T. I mean, he might have like a 5'9 guy on him, like a ton of this game. T Higgins is also, of course, in the PSM at about 6'3", 6'4", 225. But yeah, I mean, I, I think T will be more owned than Chase uh, for sure. I, I like the Boyd call too. I mean, in terms of cheap guys who could have a hundred yard game, like it's not likely for Boyd the way he's being used, but it's at least possible. We've seen him break some covers against the, against the Ravens. Of course, he popped open a few times for some really big plays on the other side, Leone, maybe it's a little bit more interesting. They have used Scourinick a little bit, but they only really use Scourinick when Van Jefferson has been hurt. So my baseline expectation is Scourinick is not going to play a lot. Assuming Van is okay. I believe Van got back in full practice today what do you think about rams wide receivers leone because i mean we have the skyrenick thing fine but cooper cup is underpriced for the slate and that's really going to tilt ownership i mean we what do we have 75 percent? i mean it's crazy yeah i mean the cup stuff it's kind of unfortunate because it's such a tightly priced 
slate. And as Cody said, when we did our showdown pod last week, like cup should be like 13 K or something like he's kind of drastically underpriced compared to everyone else. Like acres has some warts that you could poke. So maybe he really isn't all that underpriced, but cup certainly is. If you're playing cash, I think he's like a captain lock and you're figuring it out. Um, it, it does get tough in small field though. Like if he's gonna be 90%, like some weird iterations happen. Like if chase out, if chase and a quarterback outscore him, you know, he's might not be in the lineup, you know, just cause it's gonna be tough to play, but I don't know. Cup seems somewhat like a free square. I'm more likely to try and get different elsewhere. I like Van Jefferson a decent bit. He hasn't been that healthy, but he's still been playing a ton of snaps just because that's who they want in that role. He gets the two weeks off. As Cody mentioned, the article, the target share has been way down as Odell's clearly stepped up as the number two, but his air yard share is still somewhat decent. He's going to get looks down the field. He gets some end zone looks here and there. So with him being priced right around Tyler Boyd, people are going to feel way more comfortable clicking Tyler Boyd. So Van Jefferson looks like one of my favorite leverage plays. And then Scourinick, I don't know. I mean, there's just no one that's a punt that's that attractive because of all the things we've talked about. It's pretty set pecking order in terms of volume. Like a lot of showdown slates, we have like 24 viable plays. I think Cody was saying he's, the, you know, he counted like 20. So yeah. Scourinick's definitely the best of the sub 1K guys, but he's because of that, he's like, you're, you're not going to sneak him by in the lotto. He's going to be 10% owned. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. One thing I want to say that you guys talked about, by the way, if you go back and listen to the Established Edge that um, Cody and Mike did with Colin Drew, uh, Drewby last week, I mean, it's possible that you could get like one catch for six yards from Skowernick and he's in the optimal because he allowed you to play a bunch of other guys, right? So, I, you know, I don't want to get too deep into that game theory stuff here. I just wanted to put that out there. And just like if you're playing the mega lotto, I mean, just because it's so unique with a million up top, like playing a Mike Thomas and hoping someone gets hurt in front of him isn't totally insane. Let's go to tight end. Right now, we are projecting Tyler Higby to miss this game due to his MCL, CJ Zoma to play, but be limited. I, I feel pretty good about that right now. Obviously, we'll know a lot more Friday and Saturday. The thing about Kendall Blanton, and I know I've said it a million times, I mean, for them to call a flea flicker tight end screen in the <laughs> NFC championship game for Kendall Blanton. I mean, first of all, it's absolutely absurd. Second of all, it shows that they actually like the kid that, that they, that they like him. They have confidence in him. You know, I, I was just floored by that play call. So yeah, assuming Higby is inactive, Blanton, I think is reasonable at 4,600. The thing is he's kind of close to Sony Michelle. He's kind of close to Van Jefferson. He's kind of close to Tyler Boyd in price. And so like, there's no way I would play Blanton over those guys. I don't think in a base case, but man, they're running flea flickers for Blanton. So let's assume Higby out Cody Blanton thoughts. And then I also want to mention Bryson Hopkins, because I know you said Scourinick is your favorite Leone sub one K. I think Bryson Hopkins, he's only ran 18 routes all year, but man, like they might run a goal line play for Bryson Hopkins. I mean, they ran, who knows what Sean McVay is thinking. This guy is out of his mind. Um, yeah. Hopkins is going to be the only other guy in there, right? So anytime that they do go too tight end, although it is infrequent, he's going to be the guy that, that gets on the field. Um, and you know, what we just mentioned, if you get one catch for six yards and it just happens to let you get the other five pieces that you absolutely need, um, you know, then it might make some sense. But on Blanton, uh, you know, he's basically going to play the Higby role. And I don't know how much worse of a player he really is than, than Tyler Higby. And certainly they don't think he's that much worse given the things that they're 
throwing at him. Uh, the one thing that is really interesting in terms of this slate is is where he's priced and, and how that might affect ownership, and especially in the stuff that Leone's playing. We've got the kickers who are both cheaper, uh, both defenses, as we'll get to in a second, who are both cheaper, and then guys just directly above him. Um, you know, we mentioned Van Jefferson. We also mentioned a guy that's going to definitely get ownership in uh, Tyler Boyd. So I think uh, Blanton is one of those guys, if you have the mid-range salary need in your lineup, is one of the guys that's going to get going to be pretty low owned uh, in in the lottos, but especially in the the small field stuff. Leone on the other side, uh, Uzoma claims he's going to play. This dude's a character, man. I mean, he's like, uh, <laughs> he's, so he's like, yeah, he's a funny dude. I don't know if he's just like talking to talk, but he says he's going to play. I mean, we have him with a limited projection. Why don't you talk a little bit about how you went about Uzoma projection here? And do you think we can actually play him? Because if we're all projecting him limited and he ends up with a full role, dude has been seeing six, seven, eight targets in games consistently. So what do you think about Bengals tight end? I mean, it's definitely interesting where if we knew Uzoma was going to be fully healthy and if Tyler Higby was playing at Kendall Blanton's price tag, like they would be 30 to 40% owned probably. And so they're coming in not quite half that, but close to half that. So there's some upside here. Like they're not going to be owned enough for what the role is. And it is one of the few spots on the slate where there's, you know, input volatility. We like you, you asked me like what went through the Uzoma process. Like it, it was a guessing game. I kind of whacked his target share a somewhat arbitrary amount to be, you know, honest and um, had him in there as the lead guy, assuming he plays, you know, more of the passing down snaps and red zone snaps. But I don't really know what the, the shakeout is going to be between him and sample. I imagine if he's healthy enough to play, he's going to run ahead of sample, but it seems like everything I've read that it's a really quick timeline for this injury. So the re-injury risk and you know the level of effectiveness, we have to bake that risk in somewhat. And sample is not a pass catcher. So, you know, speaking more to the Boyd stuff, to the P Ryan stuff, to the mix and pass game stuff. I mean, you can start pushing more targets. Like I said, CJ Zoma was seeing five, six, seven targets in a game consistently. You start pushing more of those. If you think CJ is going to be limited to the wide receivers and to the backs, I think that gives a nice case also to Tyler Boyd, who runs routes in a lot of the same places that CJ Zoma runs routes. Kicker is a big part of this slate, man. I was looking at some optimals for like cash or whatever, and they all have both kickers. And like, I don't want to play both kickers, Cody. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to sit here in the Super Bowl and, and root for Matt Gay and Evan McPherson to go back and forth. But we do have two kind of cowardly coaches, or at least they've shown to be cowardly coaches in play calling. You might get some like spots where they should go for it, but they kick a field goal. The Bengals have so much confidence out of McPherson right now. Dude's been on an absolute tear. So I, I don't know, man. Maybe it is in the optimal. I don't think it's optimal for tournaments. But for cash, at least both kickers, do you think that's right? And then what do you think about kickers for cash? I mean, for tournaments. Yeah, in, in cash, you absolutely should be playing both of these guys. I think the floor is just too high compared to the players that they're priced around. You know, uh, we got 4K for Evan McPherson, 3,800 for Matt Gay. There's no one within that price range that's going to project well enough. And, you know, shout out especially to Leone and the projections team. I think that we do a really good job at ETR of, properly accounting for how much a kicker contributes to their team's total. So you might see them projected for lower uh, lower median across the industry, but I think we've got it um, pretty accurate and it's been really good all year long. So yes, in cash, I think you should absolutely have both. That's going to allow you to fit the cup and the Stafford and, and maybe come close to getting Burrow in there if you, if you can. In tournaments, absolutely not. I think it's going to be used way too often uh, combined for how often it's been optimal in the past. And obviously each slate is different. I don't want to take too much from historical win rates but 
uh, in top 1% of lineups dating all the way back to last year for every primetime showdown slate. It's just happened 2.4% of the time where both kickers are in the optimal. You just need a really weird game to happen. Uh, I know we've, we've got two cowardly coaches who are willing to take it, take a field goal on fourth and two from their opponents 30 when they shouldn't. But, uh, you know, it's just it's just too uncommon for it to happen. Uh, with only six players available and the ceiling that you're going to need in this in this game uh, yeah. to, to roster both in tournaments. So, so max one for me in large field stuff. Agreed. Max one kicker. And then on the defensive side, Leone, I mean, the Rams defense is projecting pretty well, I think, at 3,400. We do not have a good projection on the Bengals at 3,200. Matthew Stafford makes mistakes, man. And like Bengals defense has been playing well, I'm not sure the gap should be this this wide. Obviously, like on paper, Rams pass rush versus Bengals offensive line, especially the interior of the offensive line is just a huge, huge mismatch. So I get it. But what do you think about the projection that we have here between the defenses? What do you think about using them on this slate? Yeah, I think I'm with you, in, especially in the lotto, like playing the Bengals defense, I think flips things a little bit. They're pretty cheap. And there's so much variance, especially if you're looking at the outcomes where the defense really gets into the optimal lineup. Like all those outcomes are like probably pretty close to the Rams where it's like a fluky mm -hmm. defensive touchdown or something like that. You know, the base outcome where the Rams give up 17 points and have three sacks, like you're probably not winning the lotto with that anyways, unless you're like, you're really racking up a ton of turnovers. So there's a lot of outcomes where the Rams outscore the Bengals, but it, it doesn't really matter for the optimal lineup. Um, it might matter a little bit more if you're playing cash or small field or something. Uh, I was talking with you ahead of time about prop bets and like one of them, the Bengals, you could get the Bengals to have the same amount of sacks or more sacks than the Rams. Effectively, you could kind of combine the two bats and get like more than two to one on that, mm -hmm. which seems a little bit crazy. We do have the Rams with a lot of sacks. That's why their base projection is so much higher than the Bengals. Burrow holds on, holds onto the ball too long. Um, take away the O-line Aaron Donald mismatch, like Burrow himself just intrinsically has a high sack rate so mm -hmm. that's why the base projection is high on the rams all right you guys can go ahead and get some questions in if you have any we have about five or six minutes here we will get to the flag plant portion of the program My little tunchi is not in the house so we must be up past little tunchi's bedtime tonight little tunchi of course was a great member of the community here who was always asking for the FanDuel projections i don't know leo do you have any FanDuel takes i know we don't normally talk about FanDuel, but uh, we don't, we're not convinced the game is beatable, which is why we don't, but yeah, any FanDuel takes for the people? Yeah. I mean, FanDuel is difficult because you don't have the multiplier on the salary. So it just, it ruins the game a little bit. You do have, you know, a lot more reason to play the quarterbacks as a result up there, um, where you just need them to outscore cup. And it's also half point per reception and you don't get the hundred yard bonus. So cup all of a sudden, as you can see in our base projection, Stafford's actually higher than cup. So if the cup ownership carries over from DraftKings to FanDuel, it actually becomes somewhat interesting to play the quarterback in your MVP spot over cup. Um, especially like the Burrow side, I think would be fun. Mm -hmm. Okay. We don't have much time left here, guys. Uh, fly plants, right? We buried the lead for long enough. I will give Leone the honors of flag plant. We're only doing one flag plant each. One. Oh, I, I got two. I'm, I'm ready. Too bad. I'm ready to Pick rock and roll. You can't take two on showdown. There's only 20 freaking guys in play. You're not taking well, two. Of I them. can take 10% of the field. Damn <laughs> well, please. No, I will go. Oh, man, 
I'm going to, I'm going to try and channel my small field energy. I'm going to go Joe Mixon. I really think he's going to get squeezed from an ownership perspective. And like, I don't want to play him and it just, in a, in a weird way that reaffirms to me that he's a good play. Like if I'm squeamish about playing him, the hand builders are not going to click him. There's just so many other options and so many other ways to correlate and Mixon really doesn't fit any correlation. The only reason why you would play him is just a decent base projection. And I don't think people are going to want to do that. Yeah, totally agree on that take. Of course, Leone playing guy, not because he's a good play, but because no one else is playing him. Pure stone cold King GPP bro stuff. Now, obviously Joe Mixon is extremely talented player with a really good role. Even though I think P Ryan plays on pure pass downs a lot. They throw to Mixon in base, and like if they got behind by 20, they're not just going to bench Mixon. Like it's not going to go all P Ryan. Like Mixon's still going to be in there, even though it'll be clear pass downs. Cody, last flag plan of the season. It's been a great year, buddy. Everybody yeah. thanks you for your contribution to the Showdown Virgin community. But now it's time for the final flag plant of the 2021-2022 season. I am giving two, and I'm not going to let you shame me out of giving two. I'm giving one at flex because I've been on this guy in every damn showdown slate forever for the end of time, and I can't take six months of tilt for not mentioning him uh, if he happens to go off in the, in the Super Bowl. That's Van Jefferson. Uh, Leone mentioned it, and I'm talking flex. I, I don't think you need to go as nuts as captaining captaining a, a one or two point uh, one or two percent owned Van Jefferson, but 16.2 a dot. Dude's going to run a, a route on 90 percent or more of Matthew Stafford dropbacks. Uh, going to be you know 10 to 15 percent owned at 5k uh, just an incredible way to uh, get a get a player who is going to be on the field a lot going to get a few deep shots we sure hope uh, at, at really low ownership and then for my actual flag plant t higgins i know the ownership is going to be a little bit shaded in his direction now after talking to you guys between him and jamar chase but i don't think it's going to be enough uh, we've talked all season long about how the target projections are pretty similar between those two you get a three ta- 3k discount between him and chase and then i just really think the matchup sets up well for him so yeah captain higgins and then flex van jefferson i can't believe i just allowed you to say two <laughs> because i was going to say t higgins but that's okay i van jeff was my second so we covered it <laughs> all right i'm going to pivot to something i said not to do earlier but man joe burrow to me back in week 16 when he went off for 525 passing yards and four touchdowns and rushed two times for 11 yards, shipped me the quarter milli. Shout out to me. How can I turn my back on this dude? Very clearly on the hashtag team. Very clearly one of the coolest dudes in the game. Stone Cold competitor. I love Burrow. I can't pan my camera because I'm not technologically savvy enough to do so, but. I got the Burrow jersey, the signed jersey hanging up on the wall now for those of you guys that saw my tweet. So I got to turn my back on Joe Burrow. I don't know how it happens. I guess 525 yards and four touchdowns to four different receivers is how it happens. Optimal captain, Joseph Burrow in a Bengals win. That is the flag plan. All right. Appreciate y'all being out here all year. We've had a ton of fun. Doing this showdown show. Hope you guys have gotten value out of it. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube where we are right now because we will be bringing you tons of free content in the off season here in the YouTube streets. It is almost best ball season. Leone and the projections team have been grinding their cocks off, getting ready for best ball rankings to come out very soon after the Super Bowl. So we are excited about that. For Cody. For Leone, for producer Adam, go out there, 
and win a 470,000 person tournament. It's, it's, I know it sounds absurd. Somebody's got to do it. Why not one of you? One out of four, solo ship out of 470,000 entries would be an all time story. I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.